Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 95 of the show, and it is another loaded episode for you. We have a ton to get into. Incredible weekend in football, both in the National Football League and in college football. This past weekend was the best weekend of the college football season that we've seen. Just a couple of incredible games. We'll go over those. Major League Baseball has moved on to the Championship League Series, so we'll recap how the Division League Series went, take a look at the preview for the uh, Championship League Series. National Hockey League has started their season, so we'll take a look at how the standings uh, currently sit a week into the season, and uh, of course, plenty of news and updates from around the island as well. But we are going to start off on the PGA Tour This past weekend's tournament was the Zozo Championship. It was at the Accordia Golf Narashino Country Club, which was in Shiba, Japan. It was a par 70, distance 7,079 yards, right? Fairly short course. Course has uh, been around since 1965, but it's only hosted the PGA Tour since 2019. So this was the fourth Zozo Championship held at this course. The layout itself... Uh, it's what they call a parkland layout, uh, very green, a lot of trees. If you saw it on the broadcast, uh, it was there were trees on every hole, lined the fairways, behind the tee box. Uh, it was very, very beautiful course, very green. Uh, the course itself is just east of Tokyo, so uh, not too far from the Tokyo skyline. I mentioned that it was just over 7,000 yards, not, not a very long course by PGA Tour standards. Uh, but we did have a 40-yard increase from last year's tournament. Um, the field we saw in this thing was was pretty solid. We had um, three of the top 11 ranked golfers in the world were out there. Xander Shoffley, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland. Of course, you remember Xander Shoffley won the gold medal here in Tokyo about a year and a couple months ago. So uh, he certainly is familiar with with golf in in Tokyo. And then, of course, Hideki Matsuyama, the native of Japan, he was out there. And we had a lot of President's Cup flair for this thing. A ton of international team members were out there and uh, several Team uh, Team USA members out there. Good field. 78 players we had out there. Uh, There were no cuts, so all 78 players that started finished. We did not have any withdrawals either. So uh, all 78 players that started finished. Uh, this thing was interesting to watch on TV because of the vast time difference between the United States and Japan. This tournament actually got started uh, on the broadcast late on Wednesday night this past week and ran uh, Wednesday into Thursday, late Thursday into Friday, late uh, Friday into Saturday, and late Saturday into early Sunday morning. So uh, they, they teed off around 9.30 p.m. Central Time here and finished their rounds about 
2 a.m. Central Time, something like that. The first couple rounds were a little longer, um, but yeah, we we it was it was pretty. Co- I did watch some late night golf. It was cool watching golf live, you know, at 10:30 at night, and um, it was just interesting. You know, the the Open Championship in Europe is is a little different. You know, it gets started more so around midnight or so, and it goes all the way through into you know uh, around when you get up you know, 7 or 8 a.m., whereas this tournament started before you even went to bed and finished before you got up. So it was some late, late night golf. Very, very cool thing to watch just to kind of see and, you know, know that it was live even though it was, you know, 10.30 at night. Uh, but the tournament itself was was pretty good. Uh, competitive, a uh, lot of decent scores. The winner was Keegan Bradley with a score of 15 under par. It was his fifth career PGA Tour victory, and it was his first victory in four years. His last victory was back in 2018. All right, and he did so. He uh, he shot a four under 66, five under 65, another four under 66, and closed out with his worst round of two under 68. But those 66s really helped keep him in it. Now there was a two-way tie for second between Ricky Fowler and Andrew Putnam. They finished at 14 under par, just one shot back of Keegan Bradley. Uh, they were both playing really good golf. Uh, Ricky Fowler opened with a three under 67, then uh, on Friday shot a nine under or a seven under round of 63. Just a great round of golf. Had a four under 66, and then closed on Sunday with an even par round of 70. All right, so a little disappointing. Ricky Fowler was actually your 54 hole leader. Okay, and. Um, he was looking for his first win in over 1,300 days. It's been 1,300 and something days since Ricky Fowler last won on tour. But he's playing some really damn good golf this year so far. Uh, He's only played in three events on tour. uh, Well, he's played three events so far this calendar year, and he has 337 FedEx Cup points already through three events. Last year in 22 events played, he only amassed 340 FedEx Cup points. So he's already equaled his total FedEx Cup points from all of last season in just three events. So uh, we might be uh, looking at a Ricky Fowler win on the horizon here. That Sunday Orange making a making a appearance in victory circle there. So keep an eye on that. Uh, Andrew Putnam he shot uh, you know th- uh, three rounds of two under sixty eight on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. But his Friday round was incredible. Eight under 62. That really propelled him up there. Uh, solo fourth place was Emiliano Grillo at 13 under. Then we had a three-way tie for fifth at 12 under par. Sahith Thigala, Hayden Buckley, and Victor Hovland. Solo eighth was Cameron Champ at 11 under par. And then a three-way tie for ninth at 10 under par between Xander Shoffley, Matthew Neesmith, and Tom Hoagie. So some decent names on the leaderboard there. A couple of the uh, higher-ranked golfers in the world were up there between Shoffley and Hovland. Um, you know, it was like I said, I did watch some of it, uh, not as much as I would have liked, but uh, it was cool to just be able to watch some late-night golf. But overall, it was a good tournament. Um, that brings us to this weekend's tournament, which is the CJ Cup. That is held at the Congaree Golf Club, which is in Ridgeland, South Carolina. Right, so they go from Japan, 
uh, back to the states as far east coast as you can get there in Ridgeland, South Carolina. It's a par 71. Distance is 7,655 yards. Very long course, all right? It's about 600 yards longer than the, the course they just played in Japan. And yes, there are several guys that played in Japan that are uh, playing again this weekend. This event has been normally held in Asia, the CJ Cup, uh, but it was moved to the uh, Congaree Golf Club this year. They did play it in Vegas last year. I think it was the first time. Last year was the first time that it wasn't played in Asia, but they moved it to Vegas. Now they moved it over to South Carolina. It's only the second ever PGA Tour event to be hosted at the Congaree Golf Club. The other was the 2021 version of the Palmetto Championship. It's a very long course, like I said, 7,655 yards. That's just a brute. Uh, it's located in the low country of South Carolina, about 30 minutes from Savannah, Georgia. So uh, it's built on a 3,200-acre property, and the layout of it uh, kind of mimics the sandbelt courses that uh, are commonly seen in Australia. So should be a lot of sand on this thing, and... Uh, should be a pretty nice course to play. It's it's going to take uh, some good drives, long drives off the tee to uh, compete here this week. The field for this thing is absolutely spectacular. Six out of the top 10 ranked golfers in the world are going to be out there, and 15 of the top 20 ranked golfers in the world will be out there. So it's not quite the level of a major championship, but it's pretty damn close. Some of the names that you'll see out there, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Jordan Spieth, Sam Burns, and Tom Kim. So a lot of recognizable names out there, some heavy hitters. Uh, Tom Kim, Colin Morikawa, they just played this past week in Japan, so we'll see how jet-lagged they are. But uh, just going to be an incredible weekend of golf at a very difficult course. Super long course with a par 71, so uh, we'll see what the winning score is. I don't, I don't think it's going to be 20 under par. It might be a little higher, like uh, maybe 13, 14 under. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me, honestly, with the, the number of good players. It, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if it was at 20 under par. Uh, but we'll have to see. I'll, I'll probably tune into this thing. Of course, we're back to regular programming time since we're here in the U.S. this week. So uh, I'll, I'll probably tune into that over the weekend. Again, it's hard to compete with, with uh, playoff baseball and, and football you know, going on, but I will try and catch as much of this as possible, and we will talk about how it went down on the next episode. But we'll move over to the National Football League and do a standings update. We are through six weeks of the NFL season. Lots of football to be played, but uh, just a crazy week in the NFL a lot of upsets in this thing uh, this week, but we started on Thursday night football. Now, this has become a running joke. After the Broncos-Colts Thursday night game in week five, where there were no touchdowns scored, it was only field goals. Even in overtime, field goals what won it. We didn't think we could get any worse than that. And uh, I would argue that this past Thursday night's game was almost – as bad or worse. We did have a touchdown scored. However, uh, it was still an absolute poop show of a game between the Chicago Bears and Washington Commanders. Now, we knew this was going to happen as soon as we saw it on the schedule. Uh, but after last week's 
Colts Broncos game, we were not, the bar was not set real high. And then you look at the matchup: Chicago Washington. Uh, the good news is it didn't disappoint because we all got what we expected this game to be, and that was not great. Now I've never seen two teams more allergic to scoring points than the, these two teams in this Thursday night game that we saw. I mean, it was three to nothing at halftime. Each team scored a touchdown in the second half. The only saving grace for this game is that there was some drama at the uh, the buzzer, so to speak. The Bears had the final play of the game as the clock ran out. They snapped the ball. Justin Fields threw it to Darnell Mooney. He jumped up and caught it. And when he had the ball, it was at the goal line. But he got hit, pushed him back about a yard or so, kind of bobbled the ball. And when he came back down with the ball, he was shy of the goal line and out of bounds. So that's how the Bears lost that game. The Commanders won 12-7. to Again, just an horribly ugly game. But with this win, Carson Wentz moved to 7-0 and all-time in Thursday games, which uh, is absolutely absurd considering he only had 99 yards passing, Carson Wentz did. I mean, that's, that, that, that's how I'm telling you. This game was, if you didn't see it, boy, you missed out. Um, now, in that game, Carson Wentz, did fracture his right ring finger, which is his throwing hand. So that's going to keep him out four to six weeks, and he may end up on IR. So very similarly to Dak Prescott, he may end up having to have surgery. We'll see on that, but that's that's going to be a problem for Washington. I think their backup quarterback is still Taylor Heineke. So uh, Washington's two and four with that win. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but the early games on Sunday afternoon, the the – Noon games here central, 1, 1 p.m. Eastern time frame. Uh, those games were just absolute chaos. The Atlanta Falcons beat the San Francisco 49ers by two touchdowns. The 1-4 Pittsburgh Steelers beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers with a rookie quarterback. All right, He did get hurt and leave early, but nonetheless, Kenny Pickett started the game. They beat Tom Brady. The New York Jets went into Lambeau Field and absolutely dominated the Green Bay Packers. Right, 27-10 that one was. The Jets had were in control of that thing from the from the opening kickoff too. It wasn't like Green Bay ever really had a chance in this thing. And then the New York Giants, they forced two fumbles in the last 2 minutes to squeeze out a 24-20 victory over the Baltimore Ravens okay so just an absolute bloodbath there in the NFL this past week some great football to watch a lot of those games came down to the end all right Um, but just another exciting week I mean this is oh and I didn't even mention the Kansas City Chiefs hosted the Buffalo Bills in that late afternoon time frame and uh, that game surely didn't didn't, uh, did not disappoint you know, it was 24-20. Buffalo ended up winning that game uh, in Kansas City. Huge win for them. But that game, Mahomes and Allen went back and forth. and It looked like uh, Kansas City was going to come down and win the game. But then Buffalo made the interception late to seal it. And uh, just an incredible game. Those two teams will meet again. My guess is it'll probably be the AFC Championship game. But if it's before that, anything before that would be just a – a disappointment because those are the two best teams in the AFC. They both deserve 
to be in that AFC title game if we're judging based on what we've seen through six weeks. But the standings update, starting off in that AFC, the AFC East mentioned the Buffalo Bills. They're five and one. Uh, just look really good. Josh Allen certainly the front runner for league MVP this year. The New York Jets are four and two. All right, they have played some damn good football lately. They've won three games in a row. Brees Hall, rookie running back, has been nothing short of sensational, and uh, he is. I think he's probably leading for offensive rookie of the year honors at the moment. Uh, watch out because that defense can play. Uh, they dominated the Packers. That defense did blocked a couple of punts. Uh, you know, just it was. Man, that, that Jets team is, is going in the right direction. The Miami Dolphins are 3-3. Three and three. They've lost. They started out 3-0. and oh, They've lost three in a row. All right, now they've not had two attack of Aloha. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater didn't even start this game this past week. He ended up coming in because their third string, Skylar Thompson, who did start, got hurt. So Bridgewater had cleared concussion protocol. He's back. He went back into the game. But Tua is coming back this week for week seven, so... Uh, the Dolphins should get back on the right track, but man, they their season kind of got uh, off the rails a little bit there for those three weeks while they had some injuries. Uh, the New England Patriots, they are 3-3 three and three as well. They've won two in a row. Rookie Bailey Zappi has won his first two career starts. Now, I'm not saying that Bailey Zappi is better than Mac Jones, but there is a quarterback competition going on there when Mac Jones comes back. All right, Patriots fans probably think no, Mac Jones is the guy, and he, you know he probably is. Uh, but nothing you've seen from Bailey Zappi would give you uh, any reason to doubt that he's capable of of leading this team because he's he's won two games in a row. All right, so over in the AFC North, the this uh, this division again, I say it every week, just an absolute slugfest. Baltimore Ravens, Cincinnati Bengals. All right, they're both three and three. Ravens took an ugly loss in New York to the Giants, while the Bengals ended up going down to New Orleans and uh, taking care of business there. Both of those teams are three and three. Uh, those are clearly the two best teams in that division. Cleveland Browns are. Uh, tied at the bottom with the Pittsburgh Steelers at two and four. Now the Browns have lost three in a row and they still have five more games without Deshaun Watson. So that's kind of a hang on for dear life moment for Cleveland. The only saving grace for them is that they play in the N or the AFC North, which right now they're, they're two and four and they're only one game back of the Ravens and the Bengals. Steelers, on the other hand, I don't know how they beat Tampa Bay. Okay, I, I really don't, um, but they did. Uh, they were at home, so that probably helped. But uh, Pittsburgh, yeah, I you know, I, I would not expect them to make the playoffs. But the second you doubt Mike Tomlin, you know, he'll make the playoffs. AFC South, Tennessee Titans are three and two. They have the lead. They've won three games in a row after starting zero and two. Uh, they were on a bye week this week in week six, so they did not play. Indianapolis Colts are 3-2-1. All right, they've put a couple wins together. They beat uh, Jacksonville this week. Huge game from Matt Ryan, over 350 yards. Uh, Jonathan Taylor did not play, so he should be healthy and ready to go here for Week 7. Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-4. They've lost three in a row. Um, I, I just They looked really good the first couple of weeks, and then all of a sudden they're back to being the same old Jacksonville Jaguars. 
Houston Texans won three and one. They were on a bye week this past week as well, so they did not play. Um, they should be ready to go this week. Over in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers are four and two. Uh, now I mentioned I forgot to mention the Monday Night Football game between Los Angeles Chargers and the Denver Broncos. Broncos are now two and four in the division because Los Angeles beat them on Monday Night Football in just what was a, another horrendous game of football. Chargers won sixteen thirteen in overtime and. Denver scored 10 of their 13 points in the first quarter, all right? So uh, that that Broncos, it just must be a curse, all right? Russell Wilson is becoming Drew Locke 2.0. They traded Locke away to Seattle for Russell Wilson and a whole bunch of other capital uh, to get, you know, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback in there, and he has looked highly mediocre, all right? The Broncos are just, you know, they are – they are horrible. If you watch them, their offense might be the worst in the league, uh, and I and I mean that. Um, which, considering the names they have on offense, is is not good. But uh, the Chargers are tied with the Chiefs at four and two after that that victory. Like I mentioned, Justin Herbert didn't look a hundred percent right either. So keep an eye on the Chargers, but they're still a very good team. And then the Las Vegas Raiders are at the bottom of that division, below Denver at one and four. But they were on a bye week this past week and did not play over in the national football conference the nfc the nfc east philadelphia eagles are 6-0 after their big sunday night win over my dallas cowboys uh, jalen hurts looks like the real deal he's probably in the mvp conversation at this point now i will say philly beat dallas uh, at home right philly was at home uh, they got out to a 20 to nothing lead and then Dallas chipped away, ended up making it 20-17 to 17 at one point, very close. So uh, I don't think Philly is as good as everybody's giving them credit. I think they're a good team, yes, but they also uh, beat, you know, they, they should have lost a couple of the games that they've played already, uh, and Cowboys had Cooper Rush out there. So not saying the Eagles aren't good. I'm just saying that Philadelphia is, I think they're getting maybe a little more credit than they deserve. Uh, I mean, they're 6-0, and so they do deserve a lot of credit, but they're, they're talking about Philly, you know, winning the damn Super Bowl. Let's pump the brakes on that. Let's wait for Dallas to get healthy and see who the best team in that division is at the end of the year. The Giants, though, are second at 5-1. and one. Impressive victory over the Ravens this week. They've won three games in a row. I, you know, Brian Dayball has got to be the favorite for coach of the year at this point, or at least one of them. Um, he's turned that Giants team around. They only won four games last year. This year they've won five out of their first six. Their only loss is to the Dallas Cowboys, who are four and two. Dak Prescott should be back here in week seven against the Lions. Hope that's the case. I've seen enough of Cooper Rush. Ready for Dak Prescott to be back. So uh, just an ugly loss on Sunday night, but they'll regroup. And uh, the next two games for Dallas are against Detroit Chicago. So if there were any two teams to get right against, it certainly is those two. And then last in the NFC East, the Washington Commanders at 2-4. and four. They just lost Carson Wentz for four to six weeks. I would fully expect Washington to be camped out in that fourth spot for the remainder of the season. NFC North, Minnesota Vikings are 5-1. and one. They have won four games in a row looking really good. Dalvin Cook looks like he's at least relatively healthy. Justin Jefferson is doing Justin Jefferson things. And the Vikings are a very good team. Uh, 
Green Bay Packers are 3-3. Three and three. They are not a very good team. They uh, lost Randall Cobb to an ankle injury, unknown how long, multiple weeks for him before he comes back. Not that that really matters because Aaron Rodgers doesn't have time to throw. His offensive line is a sieve, and uh, the Packers are an absolute shell right now. Chicago Bears are 2-4. and four. If you watch them play on Thursday, I don't know how the hell they have two wins, but they do. And then the Detroit Lions, they were the final team on a bye week this past week, so they're still at 1-4. NFC South, two-way tie up top between Tampa Bay and Atlanta. You knew Tampa Bay was going to be up there, but Atlanta winning three games this year, uh, that's very impressive for them, I mean, especially with how they started. Uh, they beat San Francisco pretty good this past week. Um, they're just, with, with offensive weapons, Kyle Pitts and Drake London, they just don't seem to be throwing the ball. Atlanta is winning by running the ball, which, given the construction of their offense, I, I just I don't understand why they keep running it the way they do, but, you know, they're also 3-3, three and three, so it's been working to some extent. Tampa Bay had an ugly loss to Pittsburgh. That's probably going to hurt them when it comes time for seeding purposes you know, late in the season. Uh, they're going to look back at that Pittsburgh game and, and want that one back. The New Orleans Saints are 2-4. and four. You know, Jameis Winston still isn't back. He, he might be back for week seven here. Chris Olave comes back this week. Keep in mind, they also have the Thursday night game this week. So uh, we'll see how that team looks. Alvin Kamara looks healthy, and he's he's been on another level the past two weeks after basically taking the first four weeks off. The Saints are still a good team, uh, especially if they get Jameis Winston back. I wouldn't count them out. I still think they're better than Atlanta. Carolina Panthers, 1-5. My goodness. They fired a coach. Uh, they just traded a player who got in the interim coach's face. More on that in a little bit. Uh, their starting quarterback's hurt. They're just an absolute mess. And uh, they are the leader in the clubhouse for the number one overall pick next year. And then the NFC West, San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks are all 3-3, three and three, okay? 49ers lost a bad one to Atlanta. Again, they're going to want that back come the end of the season. The Rams did not look great, um, but uh, they did win this past week. Again, wasn't pretty, but they got it done. And, um, you know, I... Cam Akers, that situation, they're talking about trading him and, and uh, you know, he's just disgruntled and who knows, but the Rams are, are not the Rams that we saw win the Super Bowl last year. All right, they might be 3-3, three and three, but they are not that good. Seattle Seahawks been probably one of the more surprising teams this season. Uh, Geno Smith certainly been very surprising. Kenneth Walker now with lead running back duties has looked really good in back-to-back -back weeks. So I'm not saying Seattle's going to make the playoffs because their defense is, is very porous, but, um, I, you know, Seattle's in that division, who knows? Because the Arizona Cardinals, they're last at 2-4, and four, and they took a big hit. They lost uh, starting offensive lineman Justin Pugh to a torn ACL, so he's out for the year. They also lost wide receiver Marquise Brown. He had a, a non-surgical foot fracture, right? So does not need surgery, but his foot is fractured. So he's going to be uh, probably placed on injured reserve, which means a minimum of four weeks. You know, I'm sure he'll probably be gone closer to six weeks. But you lose him, 
you know, that's a big part of your offense. Kyler Murray has not looked good at all after signing that contract. So the Cardinals, the eye test tells you the Cardinals have been the worst team so far in that division this year, and their record indicates that. Um, but, you know, I don't know who's going to win that. That division is wide open at this point, especially with – we thought Los Angeles would win it, but the way they've played, I could see any one of those four teams winning that division. But that's where the standings sit. We'll have more NFL news and around the island, but uh, it's just been a crazy six weeks of football, and, uh, you know, some more craziness is on the horizon here uh, in week seven. We got some decent games. Thursday night football this week, New Orleans and Arizona. On paper, that looks good, you know. But um, the uh, Packers, you know, we'll see what they can do against the Commanders to get back on track. The Jets go to Denver. You know, that's a huge game for Denver. If they lose that one, you know, their season might just be finished. Uh, Kansas City plays San Francisco. That's going to be a good game this week. You know, and Monday Night Football is not as exciting as it as it should be. But there's some decent games on this weekend, you know. But uh, we'll we'll definitely check back in next week and see how Week Seven unfolded. But we'll move on to college football and recap just an incredible Week Seven of the college football season. By far the best week we've seen uh, this season in college football. We had three amazing games. The theme for this week was the top 10 teams falling. We had four teams ranked inside the top 10 lose this past week, while two other teams inside the top 25 who were undefeated at the time lose as well. So we had six top 25 teams lose, again, four of which inside the top 10. I mentioned those amazing games. The best one was Alabama and Tennessee. This game was in Knoxville, Tennessee. College game day was there. Uh, This is probably going to stand as the best game of the year. And we're not even, we're about halfway through the college football season. It was back and forth game. Alabama got down big in this one. Looked like they were going to get boat raced. They fought back multiple times to tie it. Eventually took the lead on a defensive touchdown. Then Tennessee answered that one, uh, tied the game. Alabama got the ball, took it down the field, and ended up having to try for a game-winning 50-yard field goal maybe 51 yards with uh, 15 seconds left. All right, well, they missed the field goal, so that gave Tennessee the ball uh, where they missed it. Tennessee was able to throw one pass that got them down to the Alabama 28-yard line. Just total uh, busted coverage. It was like a 30-yard pass. Called a timeout. Tennessee ended up kicking a field goal as time expired to get the 52 to 49 victory all right 52 to 49 all right they had 15 seconds they drove the ball down on one pass kicked a field goal and won it it was absolutely incredible those 52 points that Alabama gave up which was the most points they've given up since 1907 all right Tennessee is absolutely for real wide receiver Jalen Hyatt was an absolute monster for the volunteers he had six catches 207 yards and five touchdowns five touchdowns on six catches right for over 200 yards just an insane game when Alabama loses America wins all right so that was just a spectacular game to watch fans stormed the field ripped down the goalposts. it was just unbelievable uh incredible scene there in in uh, Knoxville 
Then the midday game at the same time as as the Alabama-Tennessee game uh, was TCU and Oklahoma State. This game was in Fort Worth. TCU tied the game uh, with 30 seconds left. Uh, They tied the game at 30 with about two minutes left. I beg your pardon. Game went into overtime. In the overtime, the teams traded touchdowns in the first overtime, so that made it 37-37, right? Forced a second overtime. In the second overtime, Oklahoma State started with the ball. They ended up settling for a field goal to make it 40-37, to and then on TCU's possession, they were able to punch it in for a touchdown to take the victory. Uh, just an amazing game. TCU, again, they, uh, they have been an absolute wagon lately. And uh, just a remarkable game. That game ended just a few minutes uh, after the Alabama-Tennessee game. Or maybe it ended a few minutes before. It was one or the other. They, they ended a few minutes apart. So I was watching both of them. I was flipping back and forth. Uh, just amazing watching both of those games at the same time. Then the nightcap was USC and Utah. This game was absolutely bonkers. Another back and forth game. Utah scored a touchdown with 48 seconds left to make it uh, 42-41 USC. Instead of kicking the extra point to tie it, they went for two and got it. All right, uh, Utah quarterback Cam Rising kept it, ran it in, and uh, was able to uh, give the Utes a one-point uh, lead at the time. Right, uh, USC. Tried to move the ball down the field, wasn't able to do it. So Utah gets out of there at home with a, a 43-42 victory. Now Utah was wearing some pretty cool custom helmets that featured the faces of slain teammates Aaron Lowe and Ty Jordan, both of which are from Mesquite, Texas. They both died of gunshot wounds about one year apart the last several seasons. So they honored them in that way and uh, just... Again, incredible game. That that was the nightcap on just a w- insane week of college football. That sh- because of all those top twenty-five teams losing, just a crazy shakeup to the the top twenty-five poll. So we'll go ahead and take a look at the current AP top twenty-five poll. The number one team in the country is the Georgia Bulldogs. They're seven and zero. They are off this week, but have a date with the Florida Gators next weekend. Number two is Ohio State. They're 6-0. They're at home against Iowa this week. Number three team in the country is Tennessee. All right, They uh, moved up to number three. Them and Alabama just flip-flop spots All right, after that win. Tennessee, again, they're very legitimate. They have an easy game this week against Tennessee Martin. Number four, Michigan Wolverines. They are at home against Michigan State. That should be a fairly easy victory for them, although anything goes in that game. Number five, Clemson. All right, they are seven and zero. They are hosting a ranked Syracuse team. All right, we'll get into the ranked matchups in just a second. But Syracuse is is their opponent this week. Number six is Alabama. They fell from three to six again. I just mentioned Tennessee and Alabama just flip flop spots in the standings there. Number seven is Ole Miss. Right, they're seven and zero. Another impressive victory for them. They have to go down to Death Valley this week and play LSU. Never an easy place to play. Number eight is TCU. They've moved up five spots after their overtime victory over Oklahoma State. TCU has been legitimate. They got a tough game at home 
against a ranked Kansas State team this week. Number nine and number 10, all right? I say them together because number nine is UCLA, number 10 is Oregon, all right? They both moved up two spots each after last week. They both play each other this week, all right? That is one of the ranked games. Going to be a very good game. That game is in Eugene. Number 11 is Oklahoma State. They moved down three spots after their OT loss to TCU. They play a uh, feisty Texas Longhorn team uh, at home in Stillwater this week, so we'll see how that goes. Number 12 is USC. They're down five spots after their loss on the road in Utah. Number 13 is Wake Forest. Number 14 is Syracuse. Now, I keep talking about Syracuse being a basketball school and all they do is keep winning. But they go to Death Valley and Clemson this week in uh, what should be a true test to see where they're at, what their base level is there in the ACC. Number 15 is Utah. They moved up five spots after beating USC. Uh, they are on the road in Pullman this week at Washington State. Number 16 is Penn State. They're 5-1. and one. They moved down six spots, which is quite a bit, but they were number 10 last week went to uh, played Michigan and just got absolutely annihilated. So that dropped them down quite a bit. Number 17 is Kansas State. I mentioned that they're on the road at TCU this week. Should be a good game. Number 18 is Illinois. Another basketball school, but uh, the Fighting Illini look pretty good. They're 6-1 and one this year. They moved up six spots, up to 18. Number 19 is Kentucky. They go... Uh, on the road. They're off this week, but next week they uh, are on the road in Knoxville at Tennessee in what should be a very good game. Number 20, my Texas Longhorns. They're up two spots to number 20 after their victory over Iowa State. They go to Stillwater this week to face an Oklahoma State Cowboys team. Now, Texas is favored in this game. I don't know how. They're the lower-ranked team, but uh, and it's on the road, but I, I would be thrilled if Texas came out of this with a victory. This Texas team is different uh, than previous years. Uh, you see that on the field. Very good team from top to bottom, and uh, I would certainly uh, love it if Texas left Stillwater with a victory. Number 21, Cincinnati. They're 5-1. and one. Uh, They're in Dallas this week to play SMU. Number 22, North Carolina. Number 23, North Carolina State. All right, they lost. They're down eight spots. They're five and two. Number 24 is Mississippi State. All right, they are down eight spots as well after their loss. And uh, they traveled to Tuscaloosa this week to play Bama. Never an easy one there. And the number 25 is the Tulane Green Wave out of the American Athletic Conference. They are six and one. All right. The teams that just missed out on the top 25 in the others receiving votes category, you have Purdue, LSU, Central Florida, who put up 70 points this past week, uh, South Carolina, Kansas, Oregon State. All right. So the ranked matchups, there are five ranked matchups again this week. Should be another fantastic week of college football. You know, um, the first one, you know, Clemson, number five, plays number uh, 14 Syracuse. I don't believe Syracuse is a 6-0 and team, or at least as good as their record indicates. This will be a true test, so that's ranked matchup number one. Second ranked matchup is Alabama and Mississippi State. That game's in Tuscaloosa. I'm sure Alabama's pissed off after losing. I would not be surprised if Alabama won by three-plus touchdowns in that one. 
third-ranked game is TCU and Kansas State. All right, that's in Fort Worth. I'm going to give the edge to TCU just based on the way they've been playing and the fact they're at home. So that'll be a good game. The fourth-ranked game is UCLA and Oregon. That one uh, is going to be a really, really good game. That features two teams inside the top ten. So on paper, that's probably the best-ranked matchup we have this week. Uh, I'm going to say Oregon wins that one. They're at home. Uh, Autzen Stadium's a tough place to play. And then the last ranked game this week is Oklahoma State and Texas. Okay, so I mentioned that a bit ago. Uh, Texas is going to go on the road, try and get that W in Stillwater. Uh, it's a tough place to play, T. Boone Pickens Stadium. So I'm certainly rooting for my horns to come out on top. But uh, it's going to be hard to repeat the performance last week with college football with the excitement level, but uh, that's what makes college football so great is that every week is a new week, new excitement, new drama, and uh, we will check back in next week to see just how crazy this past weekend was. But we'll move over to Major League Baseball and uh, do an update here in the playoffs. We have officially finished the American and National League Division Series and we'll recap how those games uh, went down. In the American League, we saw a matchup between the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners. Uh, this was, you know, we talked last last episode, the first game had already been played. The Astros were up uh, one game to nothing. They won game two as well. Game three between these teams was an absolute marathon. It was in Seattle. It was a must-win for the Mariners, right? It was the best of five. The ALDS, NLDS are best of five. So first to three wins in the series moves on. Houston was up to nothing. Game three, uh, it was scoreless and scoreless and scoreless some more. It went into the 18th inning tied at zero, right? This was the very first postseason game ever to be scoreless through 17 innings. If you recall in the wild card series, we had a 15-inning game that was scoreless through 14 innings between Tampa Bay and Cleveland, all right? So this was the first game ever in postseason history to be scoreless through 17 innings. And in the top of the 18th inning, Jose Pena hit a solo home run for the Houston Astros, and that lead held up in the bottom of the 18th. So Houston won the game and advanced to the American League Championship Series for the sixth straight year. Very impressive stuff there from Houston. The other series in the American League was the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Guardians. This series, the Yankees won game one when we talked last week. Games two and three uh, went to Cleveland, uh, but game three featured a walk-off. Rookie Oscar Gonzalez, he hit a two-run single to give Cleveland the victory in the bottom of the ninth. Cleveland had been actually trailing by two runs when they entered the ninth, all right? It was 5-3, to three, Yankees. They got one run, and then Gonzalez came up and hit a two-run single to give them a 6-5 victory. Now, going into that inning, the Yankees were 167-0 all-time in the playoffs when leading by multiple runs entering the ninth inning. So they had never lost in their franchise history. Well, now they're 167-1. and one. And if you recall, Oscar Gonzalez was actually the hero in Game 2, that 15-inning game that we just talked about in the wildcard series against Tampa Bay. He hit a solo homer in the bottom of the 15th 
to send Cleveland to the American League Division Series here. So pretty good postseason for the rookie. Uh, game four was a must-win for New York. That game was in Cleveland. Uh, New York came through with the victory. And then game five, we had a, a rainout. It was supposed to be played on Monday, but it got rained out, postponed to Tuesday afternoon. And that game was in New York, and uh, it was all Yankees. Giancarlo Stanton had a three-run homer in the first, and that's all they needed. Yankees won the game 5-1 to one to move on to the American League Championship Series. Over in the National League, we had a series that featured the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves, the defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves. And Philly took care of business. Um, all Philly in this one uh, was three games to one was how they won it. Got rid of the Braves in four games. They really got the bats going in games three and four. And in game four, which was the series clinching win, Philly's catcher JT Real Muto he hit an inside-the-park home run, and he became the first catcher in Major League Baseball history to hit an inside-the-park home run in the postseason. Going into that game, there had been 1,727 total Major League Baseball postseason games in history, and not one catcher had an inside-the-park home run until JT Realmuto. So uh, Phillies just dominated games three and four. They won game one. Braves won game two, and then games three and four in Philly. It was all Philly. All right, so the Phillies ousted the Braves, knocking out the defending World Series champion. And then the other series in the National League, the NLDS, was the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. Okay, the Padres uh, lost game one. Right then, they they won Game Two to even the series. They went back to San Diego and took both games at home from the Dodgers. So the, the Padres ended up winning three games in a row against the Dodgers to advance to their first National League Championship Series since 1998. Their bullpen, big reason why is their bullpen. Their bullpen, uh, the Padres bullpen, through 16 innings in this series, did not give up any runs at all. Now, the Padres, of course, we recall, they made some huge moves at the trade deadline. They acquired Juan Soto and closer Josh Hader. Big part of the reason that that bullpen was so successful this series was Josh Hader. And uh, obviously, they made those moves for this series specifically to get them over the hump past the Dodgers. So that sets up the championship series, American League Championship Series and National League Championship Series. We'll preview the ALCS. Uh, Houston Astros uh, are the top overall seed in the American League. The New York Yankees are the number two seed, all right, in the American League. They will face off against each other. Like I mentioned, this is the sixth consecutive ALCS appearance for the Astros. They do have uh, home field advantage. It is a best of seven series, so it's the first to four wins. Now, this series. I think it's probably both lineups are very potent, all right, in terms of the hitting and the runs that they can score. It's going to come down to pitching. Uh, the Yankees have a pretty good rotation, obviously, Garrett Cole, uh, Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez, and they have a pretty good bullpen, too, on the back end. And, um, you know, they got Aaron Judge, 
he was kind of quiet. He did hit a couple of home runs in the uh, ALDS against Cleveland, but his batting average in the playoffs has just been absolutely putrid. I think he's hitting under 200. Houston's at home. I do like their pitching. Uh, Justin Verlander, strong candidate for the AL Cy Young Award. Um, Luis Garcia came out of the bullpen, gave him, I think, five innings in that marathon game. Uh, Framber Valdez was an all-star this year. This is a a pretty heavyweight bout. Uh, I'm going to say, as much as I don't want, I mean, this is kind of, you know, I don't like the Astros and I don't like the Yankees. And so it's it's kind of which one is the lesser of two evils. Uh, I'm not really rooting for either per se. Uh, but who do I think is going to win? Just based on how they've played uh, so far this postseason, I like the Astros to win this series. I think it might go seven games, all right? And I think home field advantage is going to come into play. So give me the Astros to win in seven. And over on the National League side, uh, San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies, right? Phillies, they're the hot team right now. Um, I, I would not be shocked if they won the series. Uh, this is the first time since 1998 that the Padres have appeared in the NLCS. The Padres lineup is is absolutely loaded. Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Jerks and Profar, Jake Cronenworth. And then they're pitching, like I mentioned, uh, against the Mets, right? You throw out you Darvish, Joe Musgrove. You know those guys can really, really lay it down, and so I I think it, I'm picking the Padres to win this series in six games, but I would not be shocked at all. Just like the uh, the American League Championship Series, it wouldn't surprise me if either team won. It wouldn't surprise me in the NLCS if either team won. I'm just picking the Padres because I think their lineup is better and I think their pitching will go toe-to-toe with the Phillies' rotation of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. Uh, interesting fact, though, the National League Championship Series, the San Diego Padres coming into the playoffs were the second wildcard team as the five seed, and the Philadelphia Phillies were the third wildcard team as the six seed. So in the ALCS, we have the top two overall seeds, and in the NLCS, we have the bottom two overall seeds entering the playoffs uh, that are playing in the league championship series. So interesting uh, pick, you know, interesting notes there. But my picks, like I said, I think it's going to be a Houston and San Diego World Series. I was horribly wrong in the uh, Division League Series. I only correctly predicted uh, one of those four series. So hopefully I can get these two right to redeem myself. But yeah, give me the Astros, give me the Padres. That would set up a Houston San Diego World Series, but we will certainly check back in. This series is, you know, there's seven games, so it's going to take a little longer to finish than the first two series did. So we will certainly check back in and keep you up to date on how it is going. But we'll move over to the National Hockey League and do a very brief standings update here in the NHL. The season's only a week old. Teams have only played three or four games, so there's no need to really... uh, cover too much here we'll start off in the eastern conference the metropolitan division carolina hurricanes philadelphia flyers are up top there they're both three and oh to start the year the flyers they did re-sign defenseman travis sanheim to an eight-year 50 million dollar extension good young defenseman there 
New York Rangers, 3-1. Pittsburgh Penguins, 2-0-1. Then you have uh, the Island New York Islanders, 2-1. Washington Capitals, 2-2. Two two. New Jersey Devils, 1-2. And, and Columbus Blue Jackets are 1-3. Not a great start, and it's even worse when you factor in that they're probably their best forward, or one of them, Patrick Line, was placed on injured reserve for an elbow injury, and he will miss three to four weeks. So that's not what you want to hear if you're a Columbus fan, especially after the money they shelled out to Johnny Goudreau this offseason. But over in the Atlantic Division, the Boston Bruins are 3-1. and one. Uh, The Detroit Red Wings are 2-0-1. Oh, now, if you recall, they're a very young team. Uh, I talked about it last week briefly, and it would not surprise me if they made the playoffs. They did this last year where they started off really well, and um, I, I would look for them to continue that. Uh, they just they have a much improved roster, so they're looking good so far. Florida Panthers, 2-1. Two and one. Then you have the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens, both 2-2. Two and two. The Buffalo Sabres are 1-1. One and one. Ottawa Senators are 1-2, and two, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, of all teams, are 1-3, defending Eastern Conference champion. And I wouldn't panic on the Lightning. Yes, they are dead last in the Atlantic Division, but this is exactly how they started last year, very slow, and they turned it around and obviously not only made the playoffs, but made it to the uh, Stanley Cup Finals. So, I'm not worried about Tampa Bay. I think they're going to be there up top at the end. Season's very long. They're just off to a very slow start. Over in the Western Conference, the Central Division, my Dallas Stars have started the season 3-0. and They look very good. Head coach Pete DeBoer is the first coach in Dallas Stars history to ever start a his first season 3-0. and Goal scoring was a problem for the Dallas Stars last year, a big problem. All right, and this year it has not been. Their first three games, they've won four to one, five to one, and four to one. So, uh, you know, very impressive stuff there from Dallas. They're plus 10 through three games, goal differential, and they're getting great goaltending from Jake Ottinger. If they can continue this, I like, I like the Dallas Stars' chances to uh, compete in the West if this is how they're going to play, uh, you know, regularly or at least consistently Colorado Avalanche 2 and 1 Nashville Predators 2 and 2 St. Louis Blues they've only played one game they won it Winnipeg Jets are 1 and 1 Chicago Blackhawks and Arizona Coyotes both 1 and 2 and then the Minnesota Wild are 0 and 3 just brutal so far uh they they're a solid team good roster so it's nice to see that uh, that they've lost all three, considering they're in the same division as the Stars. And then over in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, the Vegas Golden Knights are 3-0, Calgary Flames 2-0, Los Angeles Kings 2-2, and then the Seattle Kraken are 1-2-1. They've played okay. They, they did a little roster revamping. I'm not saying they're going to be in the playoffs, but they'll certainly have more points than they did last year. The Edmonton Oilers are 1-1. One one. Connor McDavid, that kid, man, he is so good. He had a hat trick in the season opener. It was his 11th career hat trick, the second one that he's had on opening night. So two out of his 11 hat tricks have occurred on an opening night. and He's the only active player with multiple hat tricks in a season opener. So, the kids just got it, man. He is by far the best player in the NHL, and uh, he is the 
fifth fastest player ever to 700 career points. He reached that plateau uh, this past week as well in game two, I think. So uh, he's off to a good start. Anaheim Ducks are one and three. Uh, finally got their first win. The Vancouver Canucks are 0-3-1, all right? Three regulation losses and an overtime loss. Now, before that overtime loss in their fourth game, they became the first team ever in NHL history to lose their first three games after leading by multiple goals in the game. Well, guess what happened in game four? They had a 2-0 lead and ended up losing the game in overtime. So the Canucks have lost all four games and they've had a multi-goal lead in each of the four games so far. So that is just horrendous, uh, not going well there in Vancouver. And if you think it's not going well in Vancouver, it's really not going well in San Jose because the Sharks have started 0-5. Now, they did play two games in Prague against Nashville. They lost both of those, and they have since lost all three games stateside here since returning from the Czech Republic. So... A lot of hockey to be played. We'll definitely keep you up to speed as we move along through the season. Just wanted to touch base briefly on the NHL since the season has started and kind of spit out some information that has happened so far this year. But we'll move over to the NBA real quick and just touch base here. The NBA regular season has officially started, and so we'll, we'll keep you up to date just like the NHL as we move along through since those two seasons kind of mimic each other in ter- in terms of uh, you know the length of the season and when they finish. So we'll do our standings updates in the NBA. Just want to go over the um, odds to win the 2022-2023 NBA championship. The betting favorites are the Milwaukee Bucks, all right? Uh, this is at FanDuel, all right? This is per FanDuel Sportsbook. Milwaukee Bucks are plus 550. Then you have the Boston Celtics at plus 600. Los Angeles Clippers, Golden State Warriors, both at plus 700. You know, that makes Golden State the third favorite this year. And they're the defending NBA champions. And they have the same roster. So that seems a little intriguing. The Brooklyn Nets, plus 900. Phoenix Suns plus a thousand, Philadelphia 76ers plus thirteen hundred, Miami Heat plus sixteen hundred, Denver Nuggets plus two thousand, Memphis Grizzlies plus twenty four hundred. Now this is very surprising. Uh, my Dallas Mavericks, they're plus twenty seven hundred, same odds as the Los Angeles Lakers to win the NBA title. Now the Lakers have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and they are plus 2,700. The Mavericks, they just made it to the Western Conference Finals and almost knocked off the Golden State Warriors. So, And the only thing the Mavericks did in the offseason was get better by acquiring Christian Wood to go with Luka Doncic, Jalen Brunson. Well, Brunson jetted. Uh, but So they lost Jalen Brunson, but they got Christian Wood, Luka Doncic, the same core, Dorian Finney-Smith. Basically what I'm saying, uh, the Mavericks are a better team this year on paper, and they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. So uh, if I lived in a state in which sports betting was legal, I would probably throw some money on the Mavericks there on that bet, 2,700. Same, like I said, same odds as the Lakers, which just, you know, any team that has LeBron on it 
I wouldn't figure their odds would be that high. Then after them, you have Minnesota Timberwolves, Cleveland Cavaliers, both at 3,300. Then you really get out there plus 4,600 in Toronto. So uh, the team with the worst odds, you know, you, you have a handful. Oklahoma City, Orlando, Indiana, Houston, San Antonio, Detroit, and Utah all have a plus 50,000 uh, odds to win the NBA title. All of those teams will probably be in a race for the number one lottery pick. That uh, 17-year-old kid from France, um, last name is Wembenyama. He's like seven foot four, can shoot threes. Um, he's just a, a, a freak. So, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk about teams tanking intentionally to get him. And uh, we'll see how that goes. You know how I'm not a fan of the lottery system if you've been paying attention to this uh, podcast for this long. But, yeah, so, I mean, my predictions, you know, Eastern Conference is pretty heavy. Um, you get a full season with Kyrie Irving there in Brooklyn, paired with KD. You know, Ben Simmons has played pretty well in the preseason. Give me Brooklyn to win the Eastern Conference. I know that's kind of a, you know, ho-hum pick, but... Give me the Nets to win the Eastern Conference. And then in the Western Conference, man, Western Conference is loaded like usual. Um, I don't want to say Golden State uh, just because that seems to kind of always be the, you know, the pick. I don't, I'm not, you know, Phoenix, I'm not entirely sold on Phoenix. They'll probably finish with a really good regular season record, but um, I don't think Phoenix is going to win. Uh, a team that I can really see competing in the Western Conference is the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, John ja Morant is just on another level. But, you know, I like the Dallas Mavericks. They were super close last year uh, making it to the Western Conference Finals. I think the one piece that they were missing was an athletic big man that can get rebounds, and Christian Wood is exactly that. All right, so I like the Dallas Mavericks to come out of the Western Conference this year. So give me a, a Dallas-Brooklyn NBA Finals, and we'll see. You know, obviously, we're, we're a long ways away, but uh, we'll, we'll keep you up to date with some standings updates, obviously, weekly as we go through this uh, basketball season. But it is the main thing to take note is that the NBA regular season is here, and it is officially underway. But we'll move on to our segment called Around the Island. That's where we do some quick news topics from across the various sports. It's not as juicy as it has been uh, in previous weeks. Just some stuff to get into from the NFL, the NBA, and a quick note in Major League Baseball. But we'll start off in the National Football League. We do have a trade to report from this past week. It involves the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals. Right? I mentioned this earlier in the NFL portion of the show. Carolina Panthers wide receiver Robbie Anderson. He had a little blow-up temper tantrum on the sidelines of their game this past weekend. Was in the face of interim coach Steve Wilkes. He was yelling at him. Steve Wilkes sent him to the locker room. And then the very next day on Monday, Robbie Anderson was traded to the Arizona Cardinals for a sixth-round pick in 2024 and a seventh-round pick in 2025. So basically pennies is what Anderson was traded for. 
Now, that actually helps the Cardinals. Well, it helps both teams. One, it gets Anderson out of Carolina. It just seemed to be a toxic situation. And on the Arizona side, they lost Marquise Brown for uh, several weeks, so Anderson can slot in there. They also get DeAndre Hopkins back this week. Totally forgot to mention that from his uh, PED suspension. So a little boost to the Cardinals wide receiving core there. Um, Some news from the Tennessee Titans. It was announced that the Titans and the city of Nashville, which is where they currently play, have agreed to terms for a new lease and a new stadium. The new stadium is going to be 1.7 million square feet. It's going to have a dome, so that's going to make it easier to host a Super Bowl and uh, other major events, concerts, things of that nature. It's a big upgrade from Nissan Stadium, which is where they currently play. Uh, that's a true outdoor stadium, no roof. You know, the weather there in Nashville can can get kind of wonky at times. So Titans will be getting a new stadium. Uh, who knows when it's going to be built? We're, you know, obviously still probably three or four years away from that. But just wanted to note that we did have one random free agent signing this past week. The Baltimore Ravens, they agreed to a contract with veteran wide receiver Deshaun Jackson. Um, the length of the contract wasn't reported uh, at the time that I read the article, uh, I do not believe it's probably any longer than one year or the rest of this year. So this is going to be Deshaun Jackson's 15th year in the NFL. Would not expect too much from him. Uh, he still has some decent speed. He kind of showed that last year on the, uh, where was he at last year? The Rams. Uh, so, well, he, he switched teams. I think he started on the Rams. Uh, been a journeyman, you know, after he left Philadelphia. By the time he's up to speed with the offense and in football shape, it's going to the season's, it's, you know, we're talking two or three weeks at least. So, um, you know, the season's going to be halfway done at that point. I wouldn't expect much from Jackson. You know, of course, Mark Andrews is still the top target in that offense. Then you have Rashad Bateman and uh, Devin Duvernay has really bust onto the scene, a uh, kid from the University of Texas. So, uh, you know, I don't know what Jackson's role in that offense is going to be, but. I just thought that was noteworthy. And then the final piece of NFL news, uh, the NFL and Amazon announced that in 2023, so next season, Prime Video is going to exclusively stream a Black Friday game, right? which is obviously the Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. It's going to be the first ever NFL football game on Black Friday, and uh, it will take place November 24th, 2023. Kickoff is going to be around 3 p.m., uh, probably 3.30, you know, one of those deals. And obviously the teams are to be determined, probably will be announced uh, at the schedule release, you know, at the start of this offseason after we conclude. But I just thought that that was interesting. Amazon, they've taken over Thursday night football, and uh, they will be doing a Black Friday special game uh, next season. Over in the NBA, the only couple things to report are two contract re-signings, both of which were by the same team, the Golden State Warriors, the defending NBA champion Golden State Warriors. They were able to secure two key pieces uh, for the next several seasons, both of which are massive contracts. The first one, Andrew Wiggins, he gets four years, $109 million extension. So that now ties him to Golden State for the next five years and $143 million, so Wiggins is not going anywhere. Jordan Poole is the other one. He got four years, $140 million. That is just absolutely preposterous. 
This comes on the heat. Interesting for Jordan Poole. <clears throat> a week before this contract got signed, uh, he got punched in practice by teammate Draymond Green. All right, you can Google the video. He got slugged pretty good. Uh, Draymond Green stepped away from the team for a few days, kind of gather himself. Uh, you know, who knows if they get through that. But, you know, Wiggins and Poole, both really young players, and uh, they're obviously a core duo to that Golden State team who still has Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. So, And they got last year's first-round pick, James Wiseman, back. Uh, he missed most of last year with an injury. He's back this year. So that's what I was talking about, Golden State. You know, it's going to be trendy to pick them. But, um, you know, I just, you know, they've done too much winning recently. And, I mean, that's why. I don't know where they come up with this money. Surely the luxury tax comes into play at some point. But the point is, is Wiggins and Poole are both uh, locked in with Golden State for the next four years. Final piece of news in Around the Island this week, uh, Minnesota Twins. This is Major League Baseball. Minnesota Twins shortstop Carlos Correa. He opted out of his contract with the Minnesota Twins and will become a free agent this offseason. If you recall, he had signed a two-year contract with the Twins this past offseason after he left Houston, and that contract had a, uh, a player option for year two. And since Correa missed the playoffs with the Twins, he's used to making the playoffs, right? I mentioned the Astros. This is their sixth consecutive ALCS, and uh, they've appeared in the World Series a few times. Correa was on that all of those teams prior to this year, so... He clearly wants to get back into the playoffs. He's not happy with where Minnesota's at, I'm sure. Uh, so he has opted out. He will be a free agent, probably one of the more coveted free agents. He's still very young and uh, a great shortstop, good top-of-the-order guy. And so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Obviously, we'll we'll deal with that once MLB free agency comes open. But that'll wrap up the 95th episode of Sports Island. Uh, lots of stuff going on this weekend. Like I said, really good golf tournament, uh, the CJ Cup, exceptional field for that one. All the top-ranked players will be out there. Uh, week uh, seven in the NFL, which you know is going to obviously do nothing but give us good, exciting football. And the same can be said for week uh, week eight in college football. Now, you know, there's we talked about the five ranked matchups in college football this week and has the potential to give us some even better football than we saw last week, which was amazing football. So a uh, lot to live up to uh, on in that regard, but nonetheless, still going to be a very good college football weekend. And then, of course, Major League Baseball playoffs, right? The ALCS and NLCS are getting underway, so there'll be that uh, on this weekend. And then National Hockey League, National Basketball Association, both Still very early in their season, so uh, this is probably, I mentioned this last week, this is the very best time of the year to be a sports fan. You have uh, all four major pro sports playing at this time, right? So, uh, plus the PGA Tour and uh, college football. So, it is the absolute best time of year to be a sports fan. Pretty much anything you want to watch will be on TV this weekend. I know I'll be tuned in to as much as I can be, so... Uh, we will check back in and see how this weekend unfolded. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here 
on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.